0: production. In a world crying out for purpose, connection, confidence and perspective, Ben Crow is one of the most influential thought leaders of our time. Mindset coach to some of the world's greatest athletes, Ash Barty, Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras to name a few. He helps transform their mindset on the field and perspective off it. At a time where we are called to consider who we want to be as people and what kind of a world we will build with and for our children, Ben Crow teaches us that we're all in search of the same one thing, unconditional love. My conversation with Ben traverses many realms, the power of vulnerability, the importance of acceptance and the beauty of connection.
1: When you can connect the human being with the human doing and understand the things you can control, life just becomes so liberating and you're not caring what others think about you because you just want to be a grateful son or a loving partner or a, a mischievous mate or a playful dad, it doesn't
0: matter. I'm Sarah Grimberg and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Ben Crow is the founder of Mojo Crow, an app that develops unconditional self-worth in its users and builds an internal philosophy that balances confidence with happiness and achievement with fulfilment. Ben's wisdom reminds us of the impermanence of everything and the sacredness of each day. My hope is that our conversation allows you to help identify the blocks you have created in your own life and puts you on the path to freedom and joy. Ben Crow, you are one of the world's greatest mindset coaches. I want to know how did your childhood impact where you are today?
1: Oh, you've gone heavy right at the start, Sarah. Thanks for that. I thought we'd just kind of relax our way into this kind of conversation. Um, My childhood, um, well, I probably didn't realise it at the time, right? You can only join the dots looking back on your life. Um, But I think my childhood, um, my greatest role model is obviously my parents. Um, They were probably a beautiful demonstration of unconditional love. Um, My mum, I guess, was quite a strict Catholic. Um, My dad was an Alarican Catholic. (laughs) Um, And I thought they both had that beautiful, I guess, balance of courage with consideration. And you learn from your role models, right? And my um, five older brothers and sisters, I guess, are also my role models. So you learn your values quite early on in life from those kinds of people. So I guess they were established relatively early. Um, I lost my dad when I was 16 years old and he had a heart attack and died and I guess learning how to overcome adversity and trying to find some kind of purpose and meaning in life and find a sense of I guess gratitude focusing on what you've got not bitching and moaning for what you haven't got and again I learned from my brothers and sisters that perspective if you like um, and I guess I've been on a journey ever since then to, um, to find that sense of purpose and meaning and so forth beyond, uh, I guess, just a sense of self and start thinking about others and caring about others. And all my brothers and sisters um, ended up becoming uh, doctors, nurses, teachers, lawyers, very much in the service industry. And I think yeah. I wanted to be a wannabe of all of those.
0: Yes.
1: Um, I just wasn't as smart as those guys. And my, I guess my path went slightly, slightly differently. Um, so, yeah, that's probably where, I guess, early on, I cut my teeth in terms of understanding
0: some of these principles. How did your mum cope losing your dad when she had children to look after?
1: Yeah, it was quite extraordinary. Um, Mum hadn't worked a day in her life in in dad's company. Dad ran a cleaning company and hired a lot of, I guess, part-time workers. I think we might have had 70 or 80 part-time workers uh, at the time. And yeah, just see my mum um, deal with her own heartbreak of losing her soulmate. and still have to pick up the pieces of six kids and get us through school and, and college and so forth and and put food on the table and then pick up her husband's company and run that for another six or seven years and never complain. I heard her crying herself to sleep at night, but she never complained. And that selfless kind of unconditional love and care for others and, and just um, it was just quite extraordinary. And mum has this, um, this saying on her fridge, I think it's also in her toilet door, um, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, mm-hmm. the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And she's probably the greatest living example of that. <laughs> you know, I feel like I've got an angel in in dad that I can call on, but I've got a living angel, I think, in, in my mum. And yeah. I think she's probably taught me and taught all of us, if you like, just the principles of unconditional love and, and courage, if you like, and, and caring for others. So. Yeah, quite extraordinary human being and she's 92 years old oh, wow. now. And uh, yeah, she went into um, a nursing home uh, recently and yeah, we had to sell the family house, which was very emotional for all of us, yeah. but mum was completely fine with it. We were so worried how she was going yeah. to deal with it. And she was like, yep, yeah, move on. Where the rest of us are going, hang on, no, 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 it's not about you mum, it's about us and, and our feelings and stuff. So yeah, quite, a, quite an extraordinary woman.
0: How did you deal with grief? At such a young age,
1: um, yeah, I think I, I reckon I went off the, the rails a little bit um, at school. Um, not long afterwards, and I had the most amazing friends and teachers around me as well, who I could really tell that was just taking an extra interest. In you when you tell someone's just over invested in just asking, how are you? But they really look into your eyes to try and see where your, where your psychology is at. And um, they are amazing through that early period. And I think um, them just um, taking interest in me and caring for me, just, I guess I was quite uh, inspired that I'd lost my dad, but I'd found a whole lot of other role models along the way. Um, and that really helped me. And that's probably where I learned early, the truism that no one in this world can do anything in this world on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, we all need people around us, you know, mentors, reverse mentors, you know, structured, non-structured, if you like. And I didn't realise at the time, but I was surrounding myself with all these people that were kind of um, quasi-mentors for me and I didn't have to do any, everything on my own. So, you yeah, know, the classic Stoic Aussie alpha male. Yeah. And, has that loner mentality that doesn't ask questions and sees vulnerabilities or weakness and thinks they have to have it all figured out themselves. Um, I think I was lucky enough that through the adversity of losing dad and all these new people that came into my life, okay, so I feel that, wow, okay, I can call on people who you can help me along my journey.
0: So many people that I've interviewed have spoken about that there was one person in their life that always saw the greatness in them, and it could have been a school teacher or a uh, auntie or a grandparent or someone that was older that saw something in them that no one else had and it was that that allowed them to then realise that they were something special. Because I think inherently we all want to know that we're seen and that we're heard and that we're recognised. How much do you think that 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 plays a role in people's lives in allowing them to flourish.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've all got blind sides, right? So which by definition is we can't see them, we're blinded to them. And because we've got such a negative reptilian bias, you know, in terms of our brain, which is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive ones. We're so hard on ourselves as a human race. And I guess I was no different. So finding people who can see look at you from a point of view of your inner fan rather than your inner critic and can shine a light on your strengths is, yeah, it's just so incredibly important. So for me, I had a very close friend um, who also passed away quite, quite young, Simon Strike, who he was the only uh, friend that I ever told what my goal was to one day working for Nike. And literally six months after he died, I got a phone call from Nike and go, wow, this is kind of weird. And I I guess also my mum absolutely always gave me that sense of, Possibility and belief in yourself, if you like, regardless of what your grades were or what you looked like or how much money you had or didn't have, kind of thing.
0: You have coached a lot of athletes: Ashbardi, Pete Sampras, Andre Agassi, as well as many others. What do you find when you when you are the being the mindset coach of these people? Is the key negative narrative that they play? in their heads? Yeah,
1: in most cases, we attach our self-worth to whether we win or lose. Yeah. Yeah, or we connect the human being with the human doing. And that's probably the greatest distraction for the human race today is attaching our self-worth to extrinsic motivations, right? Things we can't control, if you like. And if we can separate our self-worth from our business card, you know, um, our self-worth from what we win or lose a game of tennis or what we look like or what we achieve or don't achieve and find that intrinsic self-worth... And can let go of all that baggage when you walk out on center court and so yeah. forth. It's a it's a superpower, like it's a competitive advantage if you can let go of that. And you know, with whatever I achieve today or don't achieve today, I am enough. But what happens with uh, if you take those um, shame stories onto center court and believing that I'm not good enough or smart enough or so forth or not enough something that can sabotage our um, our perspective and we start to tighten up rather than lighten up, if you like. So that yeah, the, typically the biggest distraction. Well, there's kind of two. Uh, significant distractions, if you like, two expectations that we just got to get the hell out of our psychology, right? One is expectation of outcome, which you can't control. And the bigger one is expectations of others, which you also can't control. Mm-hmm. And, and focusing on these things you can't control, but wanting to control it is the definition of anxiety, yeah, or stress or pressure or worry. So once you can accept the things you can't control and, and get them out of your psychology and focus back on the things you can, but the bigger one is acceptance of self, right? If you can just accept yourself, unconditionally, you don't put conditions on it in terms of outcome of performance, then you can have confidence in yourself and confidence in others. And then you can contribute and go after your goals and dreams without this expectation, if you like. But if you can't accept yourself unconditionally, you'll you'll start putting these judgments and opinions and so forth. And I'll see you as my competitor, not my comrade. Yeah. And as soon as I start comparing myself against you or judging myself against you, I'm letting all this interference come in to me. And that's what's happening today. There's just so much interference yes, unnecessary that's kind of clouding our sense of self, if you like, and we, our inability to own our own story. It's being dictated to by what we think someone thinks of us or expects of us. And then we're trying to fit into their ideal. And as soon as that happens, you lose your only competitive advantage yeah. on this planet. You lose your authenticity because yes. right, there's only one you. So I think that, yeah, from a distraction point of view, that's sabotaging performances. They're the the two main ones.
0: How do you talk to the people that you coach and allow them to know that they are enough?
1: Yeah, so the two questions that anyone has to answer in this planet is who am I and what do I want, yeah? And we've got to answer them in that order because you can't work out what you want until you work out who you are. Yeah. But most of us don't want to do that because we're shit scared what we might find is maybe I'm not good enough or, or loved enough. So we put that mask on and that armor on for self-preservation purpose because yes. I don't want you to know that I'm not perfect, Sarah, so you're never going to see the real yeah. me. Right? And as a consequence of that, rather than going internal and, and make sense of that shame story, that not enough story and find that sense of unconditional self, we go externally. And that's what's happening today. And we're all getting distracted by extrinsic motivations, which, is, which starts with money. Once I make that kind of money, then I'll be enough. Mm. Uh, and then if it's not that it's materialism. Once I buy that car or that handbag or that watch, then I'll be enough. And that never works either. Then we get distracted by social status. Once I'm famous, then I'll be enough. Or corporate status, once I get that promotion. But the worst one of all is craving recognition of others, mm. caring what others are thinking about us and saying about us, Rather than what I think about myself, because now we want others to give us what we're not prepared to even give ourselves—you know—that kind of unconditional love, if you like so. But if you can go the other way to your question, you go internal, and you realize that your life story is not your life; it's just your story, Mm. and you're the author of it. And as the as the author of your own story, you know that, that we are the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. The great thing about that is you've got the power to dream the ending, to imagine the ending. We've all got this thing above our head that humans have that no other species has called imagination. So we can use that imagination to kind of envision the future for ourselves. But the better news as the, the author of our life story is we also get to go back to these crucible moments in our teenage years or 20s or 30s where we inadvertently, unconsciously, surreptitiously told ourselves our story that I wasn't enough or good yeah. enough or loved enough or so forth. And we attach our self-worth to these negative experiences So the goal is to go back to those memories, those moments and reframe them or accept them or or forgive or or let go and create more positive affirmation-based versions of your life story written by your inner fan this time, not your inner critic. And once you realise that you had the power to do that, it's extraordinary. And then you realise, hell, yeah, it's my decisions, not the conditions of my life that that determine my life. And it's not the experiences of my life that determine it either. It's the the meaning I put behind the experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, the narrative, the stories we tell ourselves. Two people can have the exact same experience but two very different stories. Yes. Person one will you say, you see, this always happens to me. I'm a loser. I'm a victim. You know, this is my lot in life. Person two will go, whoa, that was heavy but I'm not going to let that determine my life. I'm going to dedicate this moment and turn this adversity into a possibility and one's caught up in post-traumatic stress and the other one can create post-traumatic growth Mm. and we're the authors of our life story so we get to determine that but... I just feel like we don't realize that we have that power over ourselves, so we let the conditions determine, you know if it's rainy, I'll be shitty if it's sunny, I'll be happy kind of thing. Yes. Or we think it's determined by what others think of us or expect of us, which we can't control. So we're constantly anxious, constantly trying to fit in, fitting into other people's ideas. Rather than screw that. Just own your own story and be able to say, oh, "I don't care what anyone thinks about me. It's what I think about myself. I don't care what anyone says about me, it's what I say to myself, because then you can say, I don't care what anyone thinks about me, but I care about them. Yeah. And when you can do that, you've got all the power in the world. Yeah, You're totally empowered. But until you can do that, we lose our power. Because
0: no, <laughs> I'm caring what Sarah's
1: thinking about me. and I'm trying to be that person kind of thing.
0: Well, just recently, we've seen Simone Biles pull out of her team final, obviously, at the moment, the greatest gymnast in the world. And she's said that she's not in the right headspace to to move forward, she has the weight of the world on her shoulders. When you see something like that, what do what are the first things that come to mind?
1: Yeah, um, where our flavour of distraction is. Um, yeah, and we're seeing a lot of um, very famous tennis players pull out of grand slams and, and so forth for um, uh, caught up in pressure and expectation of others. It's really important to separate what's real from what's not real. Yeah. So if Ashbarty walks down the street um, or any famous person walks down the street and they get recognised, yeah? It's the same thing as Mickey Mouse walking down the street. We don't know them. We know the persona of them. So it's really important for athletes to separate the person from the persona, yeah? And if it's not real, therefore it's not, pa- it's not personal. So if you're a celebrity and you get criticised in the media or social media, once you realise it's not real, it's not personal and you can get back to what is real, your relationship with yourself or your family or your teammates. And you can let go. It's kind of that, you know, the man in the arena. It's not the critic who counts, if you like. And it's really being able to separate what's real and what's not real. And the persona, everyone's going to have opinions and judgments, especially today, you know, the media industry and the news media industry. It's so judgmental. And everyone is walking around with these opinions and judgments on he's bad and she's bad and he's good and she's good. Nothing is ever that good or that bad. It just is what it is. And once you can realize this whole thing's a game, right? The entertainment industry is literally predicated on yeah. storytelling to create this hype and hyperbole and expectations and controversies and rivalries and that's okay. That drives the that drives the commercialization of it. It drives advertising and it drives media and it drives broadcast. Your job as an athlete is to realize that shit's not real. <laughs> and your role as an athlete is to compete and focus on the things you can control and not get distracted by all these. Other ones. Having said that, there could be other, you know, more traumatic-based issues that's causing some of these athletes to take leave. And, you know, obviously I don't know their, their backstory. Yes. But what I am observing all over the world is that so many athletes are taking leave of absence, caught up in, distracted by things that aren't real or things they can't control, you know, expectations of others, you know, whether it's media, whether it's social media, whether it's my parents, whether it's my society, whether it's my school. yeah. These things we can't control. And that's my greatest frustration at the moment is that word expectation. Yeah. Because when you and I were growing up, expectation used to mean something you can control 100%. Yeah. Therefore, you can expect the outcome to occur because you can't expect something you can't control, right? But today, maybe because we're so obsessed by results and outcome or obsessed by what others think about us, expectations now is defined as something we can't control, but still expect the outcome of, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why it's causing so much anxiety and stress as opposed to separating goals from expectations. Cause we'd all we all should have goals and big goals and big dreams and dream big because it takes the same amount of mental capacity to dream big as it does to dream small. So why would we limit ourselves? Yeah. Why would we cap it? And you dream big with that beautiful kind of why not me and why not yes. now attitude what's really important to realise is there's no guarantees in life. There's no promises. There's no expectations that will actually achieve those goals. That's okay. Because with that, life becomes this beautiful experiment, this adventure, this work in progress, if you like, where you're allowed to make mistakes and that's okay. In fact, that's probably the only expectation that things will go wrong, right? And life is imperfect and so am I. And from that frame of reference, you've just got this liberation. You also got this courage, if you like, to go after, to fall down and get up again, you've got the courage to go after your dreams and you've got the courage to be disliked. You know, you don't want to be disliked, but you've got the courage to be disliked because you don't care what others think about you. It's what you think about yourself.
0: I've got a couple of questions out of that. The first, obviously, I've worked in the entertainment industry for many years and I have seen some of the greatest Australian entertainers crumble when they see things written about them that are negative in the media. And I from what I can see, they're obviously really upset because it's not true. And secondly, because so many people are then reading it and thinking that it's true. When athletes or other people that you have coached have had things like that happen to them, I mean, there's one thing to say, don't worry about it, it's not true. How do you get them to actually believe it? shouldn't affect them and that they shouldn't be worried about something like that when people are reading things about them that are not true.
1: Mm, Absolutely. So the goal is to own your story, yeah, and in the entertainment industry, let's just take AFL football, right? If you play AFL football, by virtue of having 18 teams in the competition, 17 people are going to hate you out of 18. If you believe that's real, right, if you believe that they actually hate you as opposed to they just support another football team, You'll be constantly distracted. Why doesn't this person yeah. like me? They just bag for another team. They don't want you to succeed, right? It's pretty simple, right? Yeah. In terms of if we don't understand the rules of engagement, we actually believe these opinions and judgments from media and social media are real, right? That's the distraction. Don't get me wrong, it does hurt. And you need to kind of process it and, and kind of accept it and let it go because then you can focus back on what is real. But we got to first and foremost, accept that it's going to happen, Right? It's, if you work in the industry, it comes with the rules of engagement of yeah. the persona of who you are, right? That's okay. It's just all storytelling. And, and you can build up that story and make a lot of money out of it from a commercialization point of view. But it's also really important to realise at the end of the day, it's not real. And you've got to then let it go and get back to what is real, which is your, your, your relationships with the family, friends, teammates, and most importantly, yourself. And if you can find these words and these affirmations that remind you constantly of who you are, you can start to let go of all that noise and and let it wash off you. But we're human, right, and we're emotional beings. So it is hard, right, and becoming harder. So just understanding the – if if you don't own your story when you wake up in the morning and you lift your head up and you look outside, the outside world will try and tell you who you are. And the three biggest storytellers in the world trying to tell us who we are today is media industry, social media industry and the advertising industry. Yeah. One's predicated on negativity, which is media – One's predicated on shame, which is advertising, because you're not enough until you buy that car or that handbag. And one has got caught up in um, FOPO, fear of other people's opinion, and social comparison. So um, understanding the rules of engagement of those three are really, really important. And and social media is the exciting one for me because we have the power to learn empathy, intention, objective. And I think you saw during the bushfires you know, 18 months ago or during Black Lives Matter or during the pandemic, suddenly social media can be more purpose-driven when we still have these and it can connect the world in a much better way and we've got more power versus those other two storytelling platforms that we, I guess we have less, less power over as consumers.
0: When you're coaching people or even for yourself, I mean, we all have days where we're like, this is just crap. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed and then you feel like the world, the noise of the world is just coming at you. In situations like that, How do you tell people is the best way to be able to centre themselves and close out all of that noise?
1: First and foremost, and I guess right now with COVID, right, a lot of people are going through that. So first of all, you've got to acknowledge those emotions. You don't deny them. You don't have this toxic positivity that everything's great and so forth. So it's really important to acknowledge sometimes life is shit, right? Um, There's a beautiful book called The Road Less Travelled, um, and it's considered one of the top three most important books ever ever written. No, you it's a deep psychology book, so you don't need to read it, but the punchline's on the first page. In fact, it's the first two lines of the first page. The first sentence of the road less travelled is three words. Life is difficult. But the second sentence is the clincher. Mm. Once you accept that life is difficult, life is no longer difficult. The power's in the acceptance. We're just not accepting as a human race today, yeah. and therefore we're getting distracted by all these things so first of all it's acknowledging right and then accepting and letting go and then you can focus on it and then you can process the things that you can focus on or the things you can control on so gratitude by the way is probably the other superpower acceptance yes. and gratitude in my opinion are the two superpowers that as a human race we do not understand how powerful that is because if you can replace expectation with appreciation with feeling lucky right for appreciation what you've got i, I say to a lot of clients who might say to me I oh, you know, I've got to take the kids to school. I've got to help a client. I've got to do something for my wife. And I'd say to them, if you flip the O to an E in gotta, it changes from I got to, to I get to. I get to take the kids to school. I get to help a client. I get to do something for my wife. And that simple flip from an O to an E changes your perspective in an instant from one of expectation or entitlement to one of, appreciation yeah just feeling lucky I'm so lucky I get to spend some time with my kids in the morning I'm so lucky I've got a job I get Mm -hmm. to help a client or I get to spend some time with my soul soulmate at night and it's fair to say that it's our perspective will get us through difficult times right definitely pandemics but we can use appreciation and gratitude in the same way we can use acceptance if you like Um, they can become superpowers over all this I guess external distractions
0: acceptance can be hard especially when people feel like they're not where they want to be and that their life is maybe stagnant and especially like we were just mentioning because of COVID, no one can travel. It's had an impact on a lot of people's businesses and things like that. How do people, we see the world divided at the moment with vaccines and it's, it's quite chaotic out there. I believe that we're here to be one, not this division that we're in at the moment. How do you coach people in allowing them to be okay and accept what's happening at the, at the moment when there is so much unrest?
1: Yeah, um, I reckon there's two types of humans on the planet right now. Those who see vulnerability as a strength and those who view it as a weakness. Unfortunately, the macro trend at the moment is we don't do uncertainty very well as a yeah. human race. And as uncertainty is one of the tenets of vulnerability, we don't do vulnerability very well either, right? So certainty and routine have been replaced with uncertainty and unexpectedness and, and vulnerability. And we either lean into that and accept that or we suffer. Right? So unfortunately, if you see vulnerability as a weakness, you'll be quite closed, closed-minded, defensive on the back foot, feeling like you're being attacked, you won't be very compassionate for yourself or for others because you think you have to be this perfect specimen and therefore you won't create that that human connection. Right? But if you go the other way, and this is all completely counterintuitive unfortunately as, as a human race. So how do we make it more intuitive than than counterintuitive? Like any good snowboarder or surfer or skier would know that if you lean in, you stay up. Mm. And if you lean back, you fall back. So counterintuitively, we have to lean into vulnerability because if you lean into the risk and the uncertainty and the emotional exposure with putting yourself out there, and embracing vulnerability as a strength, then you're more open and open-minded to the brutal facts of our reality right now, right? You're curious and you're creative and you're adaptive and you're innovative, right? And you're compassionate to yourself and compassionate to others. And then you can create that incredible human connection. So unfortunately, there's kind of these six human needs that Tony Robbins talks about, Mm. but unfortunately, when times are tough, we focus too much on certainty and significance to the detriment of uncertainty and connection and growth and contribution to some of these other really powerful needs. So being able to let go of this illusion of control and wanting to make life certain and embrace uncertainty and vulnerability. Let's face it, the world is incredibly vulnerable right now, right? You've got two options. You either accept that or you suffer. Yeah. That's literally your two options.
0: Well, the Buddha said a life of attachment is a life of suffering.
1: Totally, yeah. And the Buddha, beautiful Buddhist philosophy about we should only ever be in one of three states, a state of acceptance, a state of enthusiasm, or a state of enjoyment. Mm. But at its most basic level, we must be in that state of acceptance because if we're not, we're suffering. And I think that's what's happening at the moment where, you know, where our life should be different, this should be different right? These expectations should be different. And unfortunately they're not. So you either accept that and let it go and focus back on what you can control if you like. And, and by the way, once you realize that your greatest growth comes from your darkest times mm. and your greatest learnings come from your most difficult times because it unlocks the most extraordinary humility because you're on your knees, right? Yeah. But also curiosity. Okay. Okay. What do I do now? How do I get through this? What can this teach me? Who can help me? And as soon as you start asking questions, Right, small bite-sized questions. You start to unlock this dopamine, right, which is the antidote to the cortisol, the fear that we get from we're on our knees in a pandemic. And once you realise you've got that power to kind of work your way through that, that can become quite a, an exciting kind of ability to turn adversity into into possibility. And all my clients come to me when they're on their knees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether it's the Australian cricket team after Sandpaper Gate or or Richmond or Steph or. Um, almost every one of them, and they'll, but they'll look back on those moments and they'll call them a blessing. Yeah, and that they're grateful that it happened. So why is that? All over the world, people talk about their hardest moments as a blessing and grateful that it happened. And clearly, it's because of the perspective shift that they had. Right. So don't get me wrong; life life absolutely sucks right now across so many categories. But there's also you've got the power to kind of work your way through those and yes. say, Rodo. How can I find purpose and meaning in in this? What can it teach me? That beautiful Viktor Frankl quote, live as if you're living for the second time. Yeah. As if if you'd acted wrongly the first time. What can you learn through through this process and I guess take control from that perspective?
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I was telling you off mic before we started about my journey in Breakfast Radio, which the people that listen to the podcast have heard about and that being the dark night of my soul that led me into changing the way that I... Changing my thought patterns, pushing me into meditation, and just you know, it opened up a whole whole range of things because it was I, I was suffering so badly, and I knew I couldn't couldn't go on that path anymore. What has been your darkest night?
1: My darkest night, um, yeah, it's, it's all been death related, I guess losing my uh, losing my dad and losing um, two of my best mates, um, one in their twenties, and one the night before my fortieth birthday. <laughs> Um, to, to suicide. Uh, probably they've been, I guess my darkest, darkest moments, um, if you' like, yeah, um, clearly.
0: <laughs> and how did you lift from there?
1: Um, well, yeah, um, love would probably be my simplest answer for there. Um, in all those situations where you're trying to work out, okay, life's unfair, life sucks. Um, the love from friends and family always seem to get you through. The other, um, I guess the other way I've got through that is um, I've turned these situations and especially for me, there's people that I loved so much um, and dedicated my life to those people as well. So the power of dedication Mm. is so powerful and and that I work on with leaders and and coaches as well. So different aspects of my life. Um, My first client when I came back to Australia was Rob Dixon, who in my opinion is still one of the world's greatest storytellers if you like, he, he was the first winner of Survivor here in, mm. in Australia, also an ex-AFL footballer. He was killed on location filming in South Africa for the AFL with his two little boys. And his beautiful brother, Peter Dixon, has picked up the pieces. Every time I give a talk, I dedicate it to Rob. Um, and so I've got him in, and uh, in, in my mind's eye, if you like. And the power of dedicating your life, and you can dedicate an event, an experience, an occasion, or your whole life to someone. What it means is it takes that sense of purpose to a much higher level or or deeper level, and you also lose sense of ego and fear because it's not about you anymore, right? It's you're dedicating that particular performance, and in certain situations, I can say, right, what would Strikey do, or what would Hilly do, or what would my dad do, or how would Rob do this? And you know, the great thing about them is all of those individuals had beautiful senses of humor and could celebrate their own imperfections, if you like. So they also remind you not to take life so seriously. I think that's one of the biggest distractions, if you like, of one of my favorite quotes is, There's not a shred of evidence in favor of the idea that life is serious. And you think about that and go, Yeah, why are we all taking life so seriously and our lives so seriously, right?
0: Why do we take life so seriously? Because all the big thought leaders that I speak to and New York Times bestsellers, they all say, Be like a kid go with the flow. I mean, it's the same information told by different people, but then we get back into our everyday lives and we take things so unbelievably seriously.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, um, getting back to vulnerability, yeah, that's a superpower because if you embrace, you know, embrace the uncertainty or the unpredictability of life, right, as opposed to being closed and closed-minded and everything has to be fixed and organised and so forth and just literally celebrate uncertainty and spontaneity, that's where laughter comes from. Yeah, like It's where playfulness comes from. It's where curiosity comes from. It's where storytelling comes from, if you like. But I think if we don't lean into, you know, the uncertainty and the vulnerability of life and we think we want to control it, I think it's the illusion of control. right? All caring what others think about us and suddenly trying to be someone we're not. And as soon as we lose our authenticity or our integrity, if you like, I think that's when life becomes suddenly serious because we can't control it. Yes. But if you just let it go and, yeah, be more childlike and be more playful remind ourselves of what we were like when we were kids and hang on to that kind of those qualities if you like. Yeah. I think that's that's the superpower to becoming adults and trying to fit into someone else's ideal.
0: We spoke earlier about how you are Ashbadi's mindset coach and she she talks about having images of her happy memories of her past to get into a calm, joyful state. Did you teach her to do that?
1: Yeah, one of the exercises we do, um, which we've now put in this digital course as well um, and offering it up to the, to the whole world is, um, yeah, it's, a, it's one of the first exercises to kind of win the morning and win the day and kind yeah. of own your story, if you like. And, and it's a beautiful story to reframe, you know, those stories when we get teen- and we become teenagers and we get pimples and we think we have to fit in rather than stand out. Yeah. And when we start that social comparison we start telling ourselves, I'm not good enough or good looking enough or smart enough, um, one of the ways to reframe that is to go back to our earliest, happiest memory yeah? or a photograph that you can remind yourself of your earliest, happiest memory. And it might be you know Christmas morning as a kid or it might be going on a holiday with the family or it might be climbing a tree at your grandparents' farm. It doesn't matter what it is, but when you can reclaim that memory and reclaim the words that best describes how you were feeling in that memory, typically you'll find derivatives of um, carefree or free or excited, adventurous, yeah, or loved, or belonging, or safe. And the amazing thing about those words that you wrote down, what you're just doing is connecting with a human being. Yeah. And you can show up today from those same words, right? Um, And if I asked you what kind of human you want to be this year, you'd probably find similar words, right? And all you're doing is reclaiming the most authentic loved version of you that possibly exists that somehow gets blocked by these not enoughness stories because we're so good at saying yeah. what we're not, right? Not good enough, loved enough, smart enough. And we suck at saying what we are. So the goal is to, because in that, in that memory, in that moment, you didn't have to fit into anyone else's mm. ideal. You didn't have to do something or achieve something because in that moment you were enough. So as adults and as performers, if we can reclaim um, those memories, we can show up from a more childlike, carefree, without consequence just enjoying the moment where it's not based on results and yes. outcome. They will take care of themselves. <laughs> you focus on task and process and just reclaim the human being and not get distracted by the human doing. And I think that's the that's the goal and the opportunity. And that's, I guess, the journey we're on to inspire yeah. people to be good human beings first and great athletes second.
0: Well, it goes to that whole idea of service. And when you're living a life of service, how much fulfillment you actually get out of it.
1: Totally, yeah, yeah. I think that's the... In the simplest terms, that's the meaning of life. If you yeah. can get into chapter three of the hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell says, and yeah. get out of chapter one, which is all about self, get out of chapter two, where we have these crucible moments of ourselves, um, and then get into chapter three, that's when you realise life's great truism, but life's not about you. Yes, Life's about the impact you can have on someone else's life. You had to care Absolutely. about them, to serve them, to love them, to be interested, not interesting. And when you get into that beautiful chapter three, that's the transformation from I to we. That's when you become an authentic person. That's the beautiful integrity that we spoke about off air. That's when you find a sense of purpose and meaning and contribution beyond yourself, right? But typically there's all these hero archetypes that keep us stuck in chapter two. I might be caught up in imposter syndrome or I might be the rationalizer. So I'm making excuses and denial and rationalising my life. Away. I might be the loner, right? Where I'm not asking questions yeah. and I don't have mentors. I might be the glory seeker and that's the classic leader who wants to get the credit for everything. And that's typically someone who hasn't, I guess, identified their intrinsic motivations. And intrinsic motivations could be as simple as helping others or realising your potential, getting out of your comfort zone, uh, finding purpose and meaning yeah. in your efforts, being part of a team. And the last one is the shooting star. And that's the classic leader that achieves an enormous amount in a short span of time, but leaves a trail of carnage and destruction <laughs> behind them. Now we all have those five archetypes in all of us at different stages in our life. So the goal is to identify which, which one am I? Because then there's antidotes to all of those archetypes, if you like, to get into cha- that chapter three. And that's, that's what we call purpose mindset, which is the second question. Once you can work out who you are, who am I? Mm-hmm. Then you can go after the second question, which is what do I want from this crazy thing called life? Yeah? And that's typically where you'll find a sense of happiness, especially if unlocking what you want, not only unlocks this sense of purpose and meaning and contribution, but it also unlocks our motivations and our values and our goals and our needs, if you like. And once you're in that place, you're in that beautiful where ego and self kind of gets thrown aside. And, and I guess the process is to find yourself yeah, and then lose yourself and find someone else to love. And I think that's the definition of service.
0: We've touched on love quite a bit because it is just the key emotion. It was really interesting. I spoke with a guy, one of the greatest spiritual teachers, Gary Zukov, and he said the opposite of love is not hate, it's fear. And that's always stuck with me because I just think it's so unbelievably powerful. How important do you think it is for us all to know how loved we are?
1: Mm. Uh, Incredibly important. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. And, that. and that beautiful book, Conversations with God. Yes. Which is not a religious book per se, but that also um, has the same hypothesis that there's only two emotions on the planet, love and fear. Yeah. And every other word or every other emotion mm. is a derivative of one of those um, those emotions. Yeah, um, I don't disagree with that um, as well. But yeah, and to your question, yeah, love and unconditional love, mm. I think is, is by far. My hypothesis is, we don't know ourselves enough as a human race. And the bits we do know, we don't love ourselves enough. And rather than going internal and reconciling that and finding that unconditional sense of self, we're going external. And as soon as we get external, we get distracted. Yeah. As I said, in materialism or money or craving recognition of others and, and caring what they're thinking about us and saying about us. And if we can just love ourselves unconditionally, through learned experience, through reframing our life story and finding a more positive affirmation base and owning that and practising that because our mind is like a muscle and it gets stronger and stronger Mm. and stronger and stronger if we can just reclaim uh, either through learned experience, yeah, or just the principles of acceptance or the principles of gratitude or what you just mentioned, purpose, mindset, or really connecting with your values. That's a really simple exercise as well. You talked about dealing with adversity Typically what happens is whenever there's any shit going on inside of your life that is within your control, and we've just discussed a lot that's yeah. not, um, but if it's within your control more often than not, um, that's where our values are hidden, right? Because um, we have to draw down on an energy source to get us through one of the worst chapters of our life. And whether it's courage or love or perseverance or resilience or positivity or optimism, right? when you can reclaim what you truly value in those moments, what got you through those crucibles and then define them and then develop some behaviours that sit off the back of them, then you can hold yourself accountable and that's authenticity and that's what you can control. There's so many things you can't control in life, but the human being and the words that best describes what kind of human you want to be. And so what we encourage everyone is, you know, tomorrow morning, rather than do a to-do list, write a to-be list. Yes. Because whatever words you write down, You can control that 100%. That can become your expectation. And then you can connect what kind of human you want to be with the things you love to do, which might be your role as a mum or a daughter or a sister or a spouse or might be things you're passionate about. You could be snowboarding or travelling or cooking. It doesn't matter. But when you can connect the human being with the human doing and understand the things you can control, life just becomes so liberating, if you like. And you're not caring what others think about you because you just want to be a grateful son or a loving partner or a, a mischievous mate, yeah, or a playful dad, it doesn't matter. Right? But just the connecting with the human being elements. And then I'm kind of hoping that at the back end of COVID, that's the biggest aha mm-hmm. for the human race. And I asked all my clients at the start of COVID, regardless of whether you're religious or you believe in God, Now, let's just assume for the purpose of the exercise, the world's trying to tell us something yeah. with this pandemic. And I'd always say, what do you reckon she's trying to say? And overwhelmingly, unanimously, all over the world, clients said the same thing. I reckon the world's trying to tell us to stop doing and start being. Yeah, to do less and be more, Mm. be more connected to myself or my family or, or to nature, right? Because if you think you've got to do something or achieve something in order to be someone, you'll never be content. You'll never be at peace. Yeah you'll never be fulfilled, you'll never feel like you're enough and you certainly won't have unconditional love because it's conditional on having to do something or achieve something.
0: Well, so, it's not living in the present moment because you're always just seeking the future, seeking the future, seeking the future and you never get there.
1: Yeah, if, when, if, yeah. when. Yeah, and Hugh Van Collenberg talks about that beautifully in terms yeah. of that constantly being distracted by, you know, if I do that or when I do that, yeah. and then I'll be successful, or then I'll be enough. And we're constantly living in the future. And, yeah, that's another perspective that almost every negative emotion is a consequence of living in the past yeah, or living in the future. And when you apply that to yourself, you kind of go, oh my God, that's so true, right? If I can just be more present, <laughs> right? Because it's impossible to be unhappy or angry or upset when you're living in the present moment, yes. like it's physically impossible. So whenever we're worried or anxious about things in the future or frustrated or angry about things in the past, right? once you can do that diagnostic, you go, oh my God, I just got to be more present. Yeah,
0: I know. And just somehow let it go. But say we take Ash Barty, for example, she obviously won Wimbledon and is the pride and joy of Australia. And she's just, she lost first round in the Olympics. How do you get her to frame that in her head? She goes from top of the world to slightly down.
1: Yeah, Um, as I said, her, what, she doesn't determine self-worth by whether she wins or loses a game of tennis or how much money she's got or what she looks like or what she's achieved or hasn't achieved. Yeah, right. She'll set these goals and dreams and put them out in the universe and go after them, right, as hard as she possibly can. But she's also she also realises that she's imperfect, <laughs> yeah, and so she's not going to... Um, she's not going to win every time she plays, clearly, right? if you're a professional golfer, I think you win 5% of the time if you're in the top five golfers on the planet, right? So you've got to get used to losing, (laughs) right? So with that perspective, you're either, and Asha said it herself, you're either winning or you're learning, right? So it's what you can learn about yourself in terms of, you know, coming straight off a grand slam and being thrown into Tokyo and and so forth. You know, if you don't have that energy, right, it's impossible to be at her 100% authentic self, if you like. And um, so accepting that and not determining her self-worth from from that result enables her to get up and go again, if you like, and making sure that she owns her story. It's not defined by what others think or expect or whether she wins or loses a game, yeah.
0: Visualisation is a big part of my life and I do it to try and create my dreams and desires. Working with a lot of athletes, I know it can be quite a helpful tool. Do you teach your athletes to do visualisation?
1: Um, not per se. I encourage them to dream. Yeah. Yeah, and to put goals and, and dreams out in the universe because it's an energy source, yeah, and the world happens for us, not to us. And then I encourage them to dream big. As, as I mentioned, it takes the same amount of mental capacity to dream big as it does dream small. So, yeah, and it's hilarious they put these dreams and goals out in the universe and so often I'll have a client ring me and go, I can't believe we were just talking about this the other day and all of a sudden – this person came into my life or this opportunity came into my life. And, you know, you'll always say, you know, like, was it coincidence or, you know, were you led there, if you like, through that energy source of putting that, that goal and dream out in the, and in the planet then going after it?
0: How do you get them to put it into the universe? Do they write it down? Do you get them to just say it before they go to sleep? What What is your way of doing it?
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so through the the Mojo Crow course, they literally write their goals and their dreams yes. into, the, uh, into the app, if you like. Um, and then, yeah, you put them out in the universe and then, you know, at the right time, uh, hopefully if you do the right thing in the right way and, yeah. and give it a crack, um, yeah, the world doesn't always happen, right? Yes. Um, doesn't mean you'll win. It just means you'll create the best opportunity for yourself to win. And that's the only, I guess, expectation. And it's really important to separate goals from expectations. Most athletes don't set goals because they confuse them with expectations. I'm not going to put those goals out in the universe. I don't want to prove that I'm a loser. Yeah. Right? But when you can realize that okay, well, I'm going to put these goals out in the universe and the only expectation of me is to is to focus on the things I can control, which is how hard I train, you know, my intention, if you like, and my mindset. They're the only two things I can control to achieve those goals then whatever happens, happens. (laughs) That's
0: it. Yeah. I was teaching my son and my daughter the other day, my son's a bit older, so I think it was easier for him, but I was teaching him the art of manifestation and visualization and and how we put our dreams and desires into our heads. And I explained to them that you raise your energy, but for them, I said, you get excited about what you want and you need to think about whatever you want and then imagine yourself with it. And then walk yourself through it. So what are you doing with it or how are you feeling? And it's such a funny thing because he, he's just been so unbelievably excited to do this every night before bed. He lies there and the, one of the ways he falls asleep is by visualising his dreams and desires.
1: I think that's a beautiful art. Yeah. yeah. As I said, we've got this incredible skill that as far as we know, we're the only species on the planet that has it. Right? Yes. The power of imagination which is where our dreams come from. Yeah. Right? So why wouldn't you use that and put it out in the universe and have fun with it?
0: Absolutely. Right? As You've a, got
1: nothing to lose. Totally. Yeah. Kathy Freeman said she was 10 years old. She, wanted to, yeah. she dreamt up that she wanted to win an Olympic gold medal, right? You put them out in the universe and life has the most extraordinary way of manifesting itself yeah. around what you want. And unfortunately we don't, we limit ourselves. We don't believe, that's why it's so important to own your story and find yes. an unconditional self-worth before you go after your dreams and your goals because otherwise that not enoughness story will mm. constantly show up and we'll either limit ourselves, we'll dream small rather than dream big, or we believe we have to achieve something in order to be someone, yes. which means that it'll become an expectation of outcome rather than just a beautiful goal and dream without limits. Yeah. And without expectations. So that separation is really important between goals and expectations, I think. But your son is absolutely on the right track.
0: Well, that's what I thought, you know, start them early. I mean, if they don't happen, they don't happen. But like we said, you've got absolutely nothing to lose. So why wouldn't you just put it into the universe and see what happens? You spoke briefly before about imposter syndrome. And I think that is such a big thing for so many people. How do you help the people that you coach with imposter syndrome?
1: Well, first and foremost, I reckon the quickest way to get rid of imposter syndrome is to identify and acknowledge that we are all just totally winging it. (laughs) Once you realise that everyone is just totally winging it, right? No one has it figured out. No one's got this incredible knowledge that has the meaning of life. Exactly. playbook of life. Exactly. Once you can just acknowledge and accept that, they were all imposters. <laughs> yeah. Because no one has it figured out. Um, I guess the more, the more broader or deeper answer is to um, imposter syndrome comes when you believe you're not enough, right? So identifying what your flavor of distraction is, your flavor of not enoughness is, is, is probably the more important one and reframe it with you know what? I am enough. Yeah. I am worthy, right? Whether you achieve those goals or don't achieve those goals for me is irrelevant in terms of what success is. It's knowing that you're worthy of going after those goals and dreams. Whether you find that dream job or you find love or don't find love, just knowing that you're worthy of love, you're worthy of going after that, that for me is success. If you can just have that courage to lean into that belief because it's a fundamental belief and the only difference between people who have wholehearted and fulfilled lives and the rest of us who don't is those who do, they believe they're worthy of it. They believe they're enough. Yeah. Therefore, they've got the courage to go after it. Mm. And success is not defined by the achievement. Success is defined by overcoming the adversities along the way, to go after it, to have a crack in life. And I think that's what we've, we've, we've lost that art form. We've been distracted by, as I said, extrinsic motivations, if you like, as opposed to why don't I just have a crack, Yes, right? It doesn't really matter what happens. And that's where, that's where life becomes this beautiful experiment, if you like, where you don't have to have it figured out, right? Therefore, there's no imposter, Uh, to believe you're worthy of going after Mm. those goals and dreams. I think for me, that's that's success. And it's an intrinsic thing and it's something you can control 100% because you can't control the achievement. Mm. You can't control the destination. So why make that your focus of attention? Mm. And I think that's the distraction. If I was to use one word, I think we're so distracted today, but our perspective is, if you like, and what's important or what's not important.
0: That's so true. You spoke briefly before about your Mojo app, Can you take us through that and how it works and how everyone can access it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, we've been smashed to write a book over the last probably five years and I tell all the publishers the same thing. I said, I feel like you write a book when you've got the answers and I'm still formulating the questions, right? So, but what I've observed, I guess, over the last 30 years is that um, if I could, I guess my only, I think my only skill is pattern recognition of just seeing certain patterns that we we, we spoke of, where it comes from, philosophical principles or psychological principles or religious principles and then through learned experience mainly in the entertainment industry um, in terms of my journey um, I've just observed that um, you can't be a good storyteller until you work out your own story Mm. first and most of us don't haven't done that so the sequential order of answering those three simple but not easy questions who am I what do I want and how do I get there Mm can be simplified into three mindsets, connection mindset, which is connecting with yourself first and foremost um, and, and celebrating your imperfections and embracing your weird, but finding that unconditional self from that place. You can then go after what you want if you like. And that's where you find that purpose and meaning and, and values and dreams. And then the third question is what we bucket under performance mindset is how do I get there? And I never thought I'd say this, but life itself right now is a performance and we are so distracted by the things we can't control. Yes. But wanting to control it. So performance mindset um, is in the moment of performance how you focus your attention on the things you can control and the best version of you. Most of us don't know what that is. What is our A game? What is the best version of us? So in the course, it's effectively a perspective course to own your story, if I could just simplify it, if you like. And these principles that I guess that our clients have gone on all over the world are now available. Um, in 2019, I took a gap year. To work out what I wanted to do when I grew up, and unfortunately there weren't many gaps, so I didn't. I didn't grow up, but I travelled the world that year, and it was the most extraordinary professional year of my life. Yeah. And and yeah, started working with a lot of sports teams and, and athletes around the world. But I also started this curiosity to see whether these principles could be applied beyond my world. And uh, I went to Russia to Moscow and, and spent a couple of days with their top five hundred CEOs and. Um, started working with teenagers and special ops, military. And that's when I realized that my work has predominantly been one-on-one exclusively with, you know, with individuals or coaches or CEOs. And the whole world's craving confidence and happiness. Um, And that's kind of scared the shit out of me over the last few years. And I thought, okay, well, how can I at least take all these principles but make them more practical through exercises so yeah. So the the app is designed to at least understand the principles and it's all video storytelling. So it's really simple. So a 15-year-old kid or a 55-year-old kid can, can access it. And the goal is to teach people how to be good humans, human beings first and human doing seconds, if you like. And following about, I think it's about 18 exercises across those three mindsets across those three questions. So yeah, and it's really exciting. It's only Two weeks old, but amazing. Yeah, we've had about seven, eight thousand downloads. Wow! Already from all different parts of the world, and that's yes. um, that's really exciting me. So it's getting beyond the sports industry. Just to, yeah, um, so we're very uh, excited and curious just to see how far we can take it.
0: You're living your life of service, Ben. Crew feel
1: like it. Yeah, it's taken me 52 years to work out what I want to do <laughs> when I grew up.
0: <laughs> what has been your most mystical experience? Um.
1: Wow, my most mystical experience. Um, so often, little things will happen in my life, and I'll, certainly not long after Dad died, I remember looking up, and going, "Yeah, you're there somewhere." <laughs> Just little things would go my way. Um, Simon Strike, who was my best mate, who died in a car accident when he was 23, he was the only one that I I told I wanted to work for Nike one day. That was kind of like my dream job, mm. and as I mentioned, literally six months after he passed away, I got a phone call out of the blue from Nike asking if I'd come in and, and have a chat. And I ended up, this is the early nineties, ended up studying their sports marketing division in, in Australia and then um, moved internationally with the, the Nike journey. And so many little things happened along that journey. And I just feel like I had these angels next to me the, the whole way. Wow. Um, There's just little things happened in my life that I didn't have the to write relative to what my role in the company was just came into my life. I'm going, I shouldn't be here. Mm. And so often I just smile and look up and go, yeah, I know you're helping me in some way, shape or form. And that still happens today. I think I still feel like I've got these people looking out for me yes. that um, I, sh- I don't have the right to uh, to have these opportunities, if you like. Um, but, yeah, it feels pretty good to have people in, in my corner, both living and <laughs> maybe in the sky.
0: It's a funny thing, isn't it? Because there are times in my life as well where I just think, oh, my God, I can't believe I've been given this opportunity. And I'll stop and I'll look up and it's just, I just say, thank you, thank you. And it's this feeling that just goes through your whole body where you're just, to your point, so grateful for what's coming to your lap and you think it's there's, there's more to this than just me. There's absolutely more to this than me.
1: Totally. And just that, those, that word you just used then, thank you. Thank you comes from the gratitude family mm. and its cousins are appreciation and feeling lucky, if you like, and celebrate. And I think we've lost the art of just celebrating the journey that we're on and the opportunities that we're creating for ourselves and being thankful for that. Um, And in the absence of that, we're getting caught up in entitlement and expectation and all these kind of things. And if we can get back to just saying thank you and being grateful and appreciative for what we've got Mm. rather than bitching and moaning for what we haven't got and expecting our lives to be different... That perspective shift enabling us to have that kind of curiosity to maybe go after goals with a more positive affirmation based approach to life,
0: and it's that moment as well to stop and to actually take in where you've come from because I think that's so unbelievably important as well because we're going and going so much to be able to reflect and go, wow, look, look what I've achieved.
1: Yeah, and that's what I mean by stop doing and start being. Yeah, we don't have time most clients tell me I'm, I'm too busy to do this or I'm too busy to do that. I'm thinking, okay, so you've got 168 hours in the week and you're telling me you don't have half an hour for self-reflection yeah. or introspection. So we encourage people just to start small. You know, just start with 10 minutes a day, right? Because all you need to do is lie in bed and say, I'm so thankful and grateful mm-hmm. for... It's dot, a dot,
0: beautiful dot. way to drift off.
1: Totally. You can do it at night as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't matter what you're grateful for. It could be materialistic yeah or it could be the fact that you get to sleep in a bed which the third of the world doesn't get to do right it doesn't matter it's the act of being grateful just primes our consciousness in the most extraordinary way and it's a superpower and that's what i mean i feel like we've just lost this art of acceptance or or gratitude or celebrating imperfections or controllables versus uncontrollables and i feel like they're two and a half thousand years old, these principles, and any good teacher or preacher or parent would already be trying to convey these, these principles. But for some reason, I think, yeah, every generation has its challenges and the yeah. 60s was a conformity In the 80s was materialism and today it's depth, yeah. depth of meaning. Where am I going? Where are we going? Kind of, you know, WTF. And so I think having some time for that self-reflection, introspection is so important to slow down, mm-hmm. if you like, and try and own our story accordingly.
0: What is your favourite
1: prayer? My favourite prayer would probably be the serenity prayer. Yeah, to uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I think if you can do that and you've got that beautiful balance of courage with consideration, the courage to know the difference is effectively those controllables versus uncontrollables, right? So, yeah, by far that would be my... Uh, it was also my mum's and my grandmother's, so yeah, okay. I'll pass the legacy down.
0: <laughs> what is the lesson that's taken you the longest to learn?
1: Unconditional love by mm. by far. Um, yeah, celebrating, uh, celebrating my imperfections uh, and accepting those um, and still loving myself unconditionally because I think I'm still on that journey. Mm. Um, and we, we still, as I said, we're humans and we'll get distracted by external things a lot so but yeah learning unconditional love and having the courage to have a crack regardless of whether people agree or disagree or you get criticized and so forth um, and to stop judging yourself and comparing yourself against others and and follow your follow your own gut instinct I think yeah I think um, my sister Marianne not long after my dad died she wrote me a postcard which I found recently um and I think it was a line from a Billy, jo- Billy Joel song, uh, um, uh, don't go changing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love you just the way you are kind of thing. And that's probably the, yeah, the one bit that's probably that we're all trying to just mm. be authentic and, and be ourselves. And that's what I mean by own our, own our story. And if we can, that's probably, yeah, while I preach it, it's probably also something that we're always trying to trying to do ourselves.
0: What's the best advice that you've ever been given?
1: Um, you are worthy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was Brené Brown's. Um, and she probably did it indirectly, um, through, through her work, um, is the ability to say whatever I've achieved today and whatever I haven't achieved today, I am enough. And whatever I achieve in this lifetime or don't achieve in this lifetime, I am enough. Mm. Yeah, so I think that's probably if it's three words that I could get, I'd love everyone to tattoo on their soul that would be the three words: "I am enough." Yeah.
0: What's your greatest hope for society today?
1: That's an easy one. Um, my greatest hope for society today is we get back to being a human being first and a human doing second, and we learn the art of uh, the human beingness, if you like. And I just think that and. That's the greatest distraction today, by far. Um, and it's causing so much mental health issues on the planet. Um, so yeah, my goal is to inspire the world how to be a good human being first and a great athlete second. But I define an athlete as anyone who likes to compete, have fun and play. Mm. <laughs> Just effectively the whole world. because yes. There's no one who doesn't like to compete, have fun and play. So that's my, that's my goal for the world.
0: What is a life of greatness to you? <laughs>
1: Yeah. That's also really simple. A life of greatness for me is someone who, uh, has unconditional love of self and others and has found purpose and meaning in their lives beyond themselves. So they, are um, they understand the fundamental need for love and connection, the need for growth and the need for contribution beyond themselves. And I think if we can, yeah, really connect with those three human needs, I think, yeah, the results will take care of themselves. Um, yeah, my other tenor on that would be the Bill of Rights. If you can do the right thing for the right reason, in the right way, at the right time with the right people, I think that's living a pretty great life as well.
0: <laughs> ben Crow, thank you for choosing a life of service and putting all your wisdom and love into the world.
1: Pleasure, Sarah. All the best.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg where we post videos and behind the scenes footage of each recording you can also join my private Facebook group Live Life Greatly where we discuss the content in this episode and many more as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning to purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to saragrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatnesses executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg, audio producers Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new Listener app now and listen for free. Listener.